Open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. We're going to discover what the Bible says about the lifestyle of the free. The lifestyle of the free. What does it look like to live like you are free? Now, the main point of Romans chapter, all of chapter 6, and we looked at the first half of chapter 6 last week, the whole point is this. That you should take God's grace more seriously than anything else in this world. Than anything else in your life. If you're a Christian, you should, if you're not a Christian, you should take God's grace more seriously than anything. But Paul in Romans 6 is talking to Christians who would say, well, okay, Paul, if you tell us in Romans chapter 5, you've, you've just told us that, that we're free that salvation is free through Christ. And that means that, that we're no longer slaves to sin. But that we've been freed. And, and that throughout time as sin increased from Adam until Moses and even up to our time as sin increased, grace abounds all the more. What do we do with that truth? Does that mean that we should continue in sin, a life of sin, so that grace may abound? Is that how grace works? Is that how grace increases in your life? That you get more grace the more you sin? Right? Paul says, no, that, that's not how grace works. And so he anticipates these questions. And so he asks these rhetorical questions in Romans chapter 6. He'll do it again in chapter 7. So that we understand how to live this new life in grace. How do we do that? What is it? I mean, it's completely foreign to us. We, we struggle, do we not, when people give us things? Are you someone who struggles when someone gives you a gift? You feel like you're, there, you're in their debt? You, you owe them something? You have to pay them back, right? I remember when, when I was younger, I, I learned this from my father. My father would never loan something to somebody. He would always give it. He would just give it. And he would say, no, that's, that's yours. If I don't have it to give, I can't give it to you. But if I do, I'm going to give it to you. You don't owe me anything. Sometimes we struggle with that. The grace of God. How is it that, how do we live knowing that we've been given everything in Christ? What does that lead to in our life? For some people, they, they think that grace gives them the ability to live however they want. It's just carte blanche, a blank slate. I can do whatever I want to. A blank check. That it was actually so that I could be autonomous in my freedom that Christ died for me. That he died in my place so I could live life according to however I want to. According to my own desires. We're going to discover in God's word that that's not the case. As a matter of fact, we're going to discover that everyone, everyone is a servant or slave to something or someone. But the main point of Romans chapter 6 is that you should take God's grace more seriously than anything else in this world, more than anything else in your life. Everything in your life should feel the weight of Christ's cross. Everything that you're involved in, every relationship, every action, every plan that you make, everything that you do should feel the weight, the burden the glory, the majesty of Christ's cross, that you, your heart would be gripped with the truth that God sent his only son, perfect, spotless lamb, unblemished, no sin, to die for you. To take your sin upon himself, to die in your place. To be crucified. It wasn't even a peaceful death. It was the death of a criminal. To bear all the shame that you deserve and that I deserve. That truth should fill your heart if you're a Christian. And it should motivate everything that you do. And I find in my life 
that if, that if I'm not thinking about the cross on a continual basis, it's usually because of several reasons. Number one, it's usually because I'm out of fellowship with God and his word. I'm disconnected from his word. It sits on my shelf. It sits on the, in my car, in my backpack, or somewhere, and I'm not engaging with his word. I'm not being fed on his truth. It's like being in a relationship with someone, in a, maybe a long-distance relationship, and you have this pile of letters that they send to you every day, but you never open them. You never read their thoughts about you. You don't know their personality, what they're thinking. Most of the time when I discover that I'm, I'm not looking at things through the lens of the cross, it's because I'm not, I'm disconnected from God's word. I'm not reading his love letter to me. Other times it's because I'm out of fellowship with other believers. I'm not spending time with other people who have been set free, like me. I'm not having conversations about the goodness of Jesus. I'm not discovering new spiritual truths through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit with other believers. And God, by his grace, prods me. Open up your Bible. Read my word. Learn my way. Get together with other believers. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, his word says. Right? But everything, everything in the Christian's life should be seen through the lens of what Jesus did that day. The old hymn says, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Another hymn says, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. Today, the second half of Romans, we're going to discover a couple of things. It's kind of twofold. The first thing we're going to discover are the things that the Bible tells us. It gives us kind of a mirror image of the way that, the way that we lived in bondage to sin. The Bible shows us the dynamic of that relationship of when we were in bondage to sin. And it shows us that in the same way that we were servants to sin through Christ, now we are made servants to righteousness. And then we should think about our, our past in a way to help us understand where we should be today in Christ. And then after that, after Paul explains what that picture looks like and gives that comparison, then he says, okay, now think about your prior life of sin and the way that worked, and now think of your new life in Christ as a free believer. And live the same way as a slave, as a servant for Jesus, to Jesus. And so, follow along with, with me in your copy of the scriptures. I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard Version, starting in verse 15. Another rhetorical question, he says, what then? Now, that's coming from verse 14. Verse 14, he makes a statement. Sin shall not be master or lord over you, for you are not under law but under grace. He's talking about authority. The authority that you're under. You're no longer under law. You are under grace. He anticipates this question in verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? May it never be. Again, that's that Greek emphatic statement. Meganoita. It's emphatic. It's saying no, absolutely not. Verse 16, he says, why? Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. 
Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification. And the outcome? Eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Would you bow with me to pray? Uh, Father, God, we ask that you cause your word to do a work in us, that you would cultivate our hearts this morning, and that your word would take root once again. Lord, that we would learn new things, that we would grow from your word, although that you would give us life once again. Help us, Lord, just in this time today together to dial in to what you're trying to tell us. That for a moment, the cares of this week, maybe even of earlier this morning, we would place upon your shoulders and hear your voice once again this morning. Let it be so in your son's name. Amen. He tells us how to reorient our lifestyle today as one who is free, under grace. Two things. The first thing is this. In order to reorient your lifestyle as a person under grace, and there aren't going to be any bullet points or long notes on the screen here, so I encourage you to write these down if it helps. Number one, your actions must match your words. As you live out the Christian life, as a servant of Jesus and a follower of Christ, your actions must match your words. Notice what he says there in verse 16. As he hearkens back to your old life of sin. He says, do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey. Either of sin, resulting in death, or of obedience, resulting in righteousness. Do you see what he says there? He says, this is how it works. When you are a servant or a slave of someone, and you show up, right? You show up to the throne room, or to the feet of the one who has authority over you. You can call them master and lord all you want. You can adore them, you can, you, whatever, with, with words, right? But he says, you're actually only the slave, though, of the person that you obey, right? Your actions have to match your words. Now he says, now, when we look back at your life of sin, that was the case, right? Every day, you willingly presented yourself to sin, you, you gave yourself permission to do that. You almost prepared yourself to, to be angry on the way to work. You prepared yourself to, you know, to say, if, if someone gets in my way today, I'm going to let them have it. You're going to say something harsh to your spouse or to your children. We present ourselves, when we live in sin, we, we freely present ourselves to sin every day and say, it's just, this is life, this is what people do, and I'm part of it. I'm going to do the same thing. I'm no different, I'm no better than this other person. I'm going to sin just like them. So I might as well give myself to it. Paul says, when you lived in sin, you voluntarily placed yourself under the authority of sin you're going to behave like everybody else in the world. But you're a slave of sin because you obey it. You present yourself willingly to be a sinner every day. This is how it works. And so now, as a follower of Christ, as a slave to righteousness, you live the same way. Present yourself to righteousness. Present yourself to Jesus. Don't call him Lord. 
Don't take the name of Christ and call yourself a Christian, but never submit to him as Lord and Master. It doesn't make sense to present yourself to him as Lord and Master, but never obey him and never intend to do what he wants you to do on a daily basis. So husbands, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to call Jesus Lord and not submit to his commandment to love your wife as Christ loves, loves the church. Wives, it doesn't do any good to call Jesus Lord and to call yourself a Christian unless you're going to obey Jesus who says to submit yourself to your husband as unto the Lord. It, it doesn't do any good if, you're, if you have a job and you call yourself a Christian and you say that Jesus is your Lord but you lie and you extort and you, and, and you cheat. The people in your workplace or the government or the IRS or whoever. Our actions have to match our words in the new life just as they did in the old. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says actually that sadly... On that day, he says, verse 21 through 23 of Matthew chapter 7, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Verse 22, he says, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. In some versions it says, you workers of iniquity. Now what's going on there? A couple things. First of all, there are going to be many people who think that doing stuff in the name of Jesus equals obeying Jesus. Jesus says here, that's not the case. There will be many people doing things in his name that do not know him and that are not doing them because he told them to. You follow? But what's the key? The key is you have to know him. He has to know you. You have to have a personal relationship with him. And then he says the difference in these people is that they is what they practice. It's what they practice. It's what they it's the person they obey on a regular basis. Who do they report to every day? They're doing a lot of stuff in Jesus' name, but when it, comes, when it comes down to it, they are their own master, their own Lord. They dictate what they want to do. They don't follow Christ. They don't obey him. They call him Lord with their mouths, but they are not really following him as Lord. They're not really servants of Christ. So in your new life, don't just call him Lord. Don't just go by the name Christian. Don't just be involved in church stuff or Christian stuff. Follow him. Obey him. The second thing, your actions must be intentional and purposeful. Look at verse 17. He says, but thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. Really, Paul? Are you saying that you're thankful? That, that when we were in our sin, we became obedient? To the point to where, like, we were the really great sinners? <laughs> Paul's saying, look, when you look back at your old life, you were a professional sinner. I know we'd like to think, well, sin, I just dabbled in it every now and then. It wasn't a big deal. Paul says, no, you were a pro. You were a pro. You became committed to this type of teaching. You became committed over acts and acts over acts of obedience to sin over and over and over and over and over again. It's like, I'm glad that's the case. And I'm glad that you can look back at that because that's how it's going to work in the Christian life. So folks, we seem to think, many people seem to think that Christianity and following Jesus is supposed to happen naturally. And if for some reason, after you're baptized, you don't just start spewing out scripture, or you don't start just living the perfect life, that something's just not spiritual about you. 
and that you have to get this spiritual dynamic. No, the Christian life, following Jesus takes work. We're not saved by our works, but we are saved for work. The Bible says, work out your salvation with much fear and trembling. By grace you've been saved. Through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Right? But we've been created for good works. We've been born again for good works. Our actions must be intentional and purposeful. They don't just happen. We have to be intentional. So we use phrases like spiritual disciplines. What are some of those disciplines? Prayer, reading your Bible, meditation, spending time alone with God. When's the last time you spent time alone with God? Say, well, why, why, why would I need that? I mean, spend time alone with God. You'd be, you'd be surprised. You don't have to have anything to say. Some people are uncomfortable with silence. Sometimes it can be uncomfortable. Man, if your life doesn't have, if you don't have some, some time to carve out and just spend time alone with God, you need to do that. It's a discipline. It takes work. You have to sacrifice other things. You have to amputate things that you think you really need to do, places you think you really need to be. I know that can be hard. But you must do that. You have to be intentional about that. Going to church. So many, so many people don't attend church because they just don't, they don't feel like it. I, 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 met, I met someone one time who said they didn't feel the pull. Okay. Do, do you have the Holy Spirit? Are you born again? If you're, if you're a Christian and you don't feel the pull, you need to hit your knees and go to the Lord and say, Lord, why don't I feel the pull? Be with the body of Christ. You have to want to. Gripped by the cross, seeing everything through the lens of the cross. Our actions have to be intentional. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20, it's interesting what Paul says in this cyclical letter that many churches would have read, the book of Ephesians. He says, he talks about putting off the old self. This is in Ephesians 4, 17. He says, This I say therefore and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves, do you see that? That is a voluntary action. Have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice, there's that word again, of every kind of impurity with greediness. Verse 20. But you did not learn Christ in this way. Do you see that? I, I remember the first time, one of the first times I read that verse, I was shocked. And I thought, wait a minute, that's not how conversion happens. We don't pick up a book that teaches us, you know, how to, how to be a, like, like, okay, yeah, I read the book and now I'm a Christian because I read the book. I had a couple of questions at the end, a little quiz. I took it and now I'm a Christian. What does he mean, learn Christ? I thought it was this supernatural experience to where, you know, heaven opened up and angels were singing and... My heart broke and then I got baptized and my whole life changed. It was just automatic. Paul's talking about a change, a new life in Christ that involves learning. You get that? Learning. Learning Christ. Learning His way. Folks, this is what His disciples were doing for three years. Walking with Jesus, going from city to city, they were learning his way. And even still, still, before he's crucified, Peter denies him three times. We're always learning. We're always learning his way. But we have to be committed to learn. It's not automatic. We have to show up for service. To serve him, to get to know him every day. He is our king. 
We belong to him now. So remember these things that we just mentioned. Your actions must match your words. Your actions must be intentional and purposeful as a believer in your new life in the same way that they were when you were a sinner owned by sin, enslaved by sin in your previous life. Now, slavery is not something new for Paul's audience. As a matter of fact, 35 to 40% of Rome and the Italian peninsula were, were enslaved during the first century. Think about that. 45% of the population, 40% of the population enslaved. Okay? People could sell themselves and their children into slavery in order to avoid ruinous debt. So if they got into such steep debt that they couldn't, they couldn't pay it off, they could sell themselves or their, their children into debt for the person that they owed. Okay? In England, for many years, there were debtors' prisons. Some of the debtors' prisons for English people were placed on Australia, in Australia. So if you got into debt in England during a period of time, you were not just sent to prison, you were sent on the other end of the planet and imprisoned. Today, you can claim bankruptcy, you can default on student loans, the government will forgive your student loans in some instances. You can have your car repossessed. But in early Roman times, you would be immediately imprisoned or executed for overextending the credit card. Crazy, huh? But slavery was something that Paul's audience understood. It's another reason why verses like the borrower is servant to the lender make so much sense in an ancient audience with an ancient culture. If a borrower could not pay, they became a literal slave to someone until they worked off the debt. Can you imagine that? Your kid comes to you and says, I want one of those Apple watches. Or I want an iPhone or I want a tablet or whatever. And you say, oh, okay, well, I've got the credit card here. Oh, let's put it on the credit card. Okay, that's, we'll put it on the credit card. Okay, now I need you to mow the neighbor's lawn every Thursday for the next five years. Sound like a pretty good deal? Most of us would say, I'm not sure I need that, right? How do we pay for our debt? The lender could become the Lord, the literal Lord and Master of the person who owed them. And so think of it this way, okay? Um, well, let me just give you a few things that I discovered. An article, a guy named Chris, is a little debt video talking about Chris Invest. He gives several characteristics of debt-free people that I thought was helpful in comparing to what we're talking about today. Characteristics of debt-free people. People who are debt-free and want to be debt-free, continue to be debt-free. Number one, they have self-control. They know how to control their spending. Number two, they are confident. They're confident. They're, they're comfortable in their own skin. Number three, they're, afraid, they're, they're not afraid to say no. Characteristics of debt-free people. They are not afraid to say no, specifically to social opportunities. All right? Well, you know, our friends are going to this, this thing. We got to go too, right? Well, that costs a lot of money. Yeah, but if we don't go, we're not part of the social scene. We'll be looked down upon. Debt-free people don't care about that. Number four, they set goals. He says specific, measurable, you've probably heard these before. Specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and time-based. Smart goals. Specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and time-based. They set goals. How many times have you heard people encourage you as a Christian to set goals? To say you should set goals as a Christian. What do you mean, like New Year's resolutions? Read the Bible in a year type of goal, something like that? You know, I was talking about that Grand Canyon hike that I'm going to do in the next couple of weeks. I discovered how out of shape I was. And if I wanted to change, if I wanted to 
experience less pain, okay? I'm still going to experience a lot of pain, but maybe less pain and keep my friends from having to carry me out of the canyon, I probably needed to set some goals. So here were some of those goals. I set a goal on how many steps I needed to take every day. I need to take X amount of steps. I set my goal on how many carbs I wanted to take in every day. I set my goal on how many miles I wanted to hike, elevation that I wanted to hike every week. And I'm telling you, if I, hadn't, if I, if I didn't set those goals, I wouldn't have accomplished anything. In the Christian life, sometimes we think that everything's automatic. Not so. Set goals. Set goals to, to bring you closer into closer fellowship with Christ. The more you read his word, the more you memorize scripture. The Bible says, I, I hide, I've hidden your word, O Lord, the psalmist says, in my heart, so that why? So that I may not sin against you. Proactive measures. I'm going to purposely take your word, God, hide it within my heart. It doesn't mean blast the verse on Facebook so everybody can see. It means hide it. Hide it inside, within. Think about it. Dwell upon it. Read it every day. Enlist a friend or a family member to help you, to keep you accountable. These are steps. So debt-free people, he says, they set goals. They're also, fifthly, willing to make sacrifices. They cut out unnecessary expenses. They're not afraid to amputate things that they don't need. Sometimes people um, discover these deathbed realities, as I call them. Where they're on their deathbed and they're thinking about their life and they're thinking about their children and grandchildren and people that they know and they start having these thoughts of, you know what? I missed. I missed some opportunities. There was a time in my life where my, my work schedule was just insane. My kids were growing up in this phase and, you know, and I thought that having this thing or providing this thing or having, you know, this thing in my job was more, was, was more important than right now, I realize it actually is. And if I could have that time back, I might reinvest it. Do things differently. I would be willing to make certain sacrifices knowing what I know now. In Romans 8, 18, Paul says the present sufferings of today are not worthy to be compared to the glory that awaits us. As Christians, that's what we're looking forward to when we see Jesus face to face. And that's what we consider when we look at the things in this life and go, okay, what's worth sacrificing? How important are these things in the grand scheme of things? They don't care about material things. Or in the profound words of Shania Twain, that don't impress me much. When other people come to them and say, hey, look at my, uh, look at my new car. They're like, huh, I'm in the black. I'm in the black. My account's in the black. Yours is in the red. But you enjoy that car, right? Things don't impress them much. They don't compare themselves to other people, he says. And then finally, they are generous. Now, I want you to think of all these characteristics I just listed that he lists of people who are debt-free. And I want you to ask this question. Think about this question. Are these characteristics accidental? Are they purposeful? What does it take to decide, to make these decisions? You heard them. They're not easy, are they? Man, it's not easy to tell the friends, we can't go there, can't do that. Well, everybody else, everybody else in our friend group's going to Cozumel this summer. You know? Yeah, we can't, we can't do that. Well, everybody else, kids are, are going to this private school. Everybody else at work, we're doing this after work. After work, we're going to go somewhere, we're going to do these things, we're going to spend some money. Yeah, I can't do those things. These are not spur-of-the-moment decisions. If they were spur-of-the-moment decisions, you know how we would decide every time? Uh, we'd be bombarded with peer pressure. 
Like, oh, okay. Makes you happy. These are not accidental characteristics. They're purposeful. These habits do not come naturally. They come with intentionality. So I want you to think about this question. What would it look like for you to become more intentional today about following Christ? What would that look like for you today? To be more intentional about following Christ. What are some action steps that you know, you know that if you, that if you don't put them down on paper, if they're not smart goals, if you don't enlist other Christians to help you, a friend, someone here in this room, your spouse, someone to hold you accountable, you know it won't happen. Those are the types of goals to go after. And to say, this, this is what it looks like. This is the lifestyle of someone who is free. Now, I've got to hurry. When we come to verses 18 through 21, now he moves into what it means to be free in Christ. He says in verse 18... And having be, he's, now he says in verse 17, talks about you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And now everything in your life has changed. Now you've been freed from sin and now you have become slaves of righteousness. Now what does he mean there? You still struggle with sin. You still live in a human body and you struggle with sin. However, you do not belong to sin anymore. That means the kingdom of sin doesn't reign over you because you're in Christ. He defeated sin and death and hell. And if you're in Christ, sin is no longer your Lord. No longer your master. Amen? And so now... You begin your new life as a servant, not of sin, but of Jesus Christ. We like to think today that we are completely free. When we talk about Christian freedom, when the Bible talks about Christian freedom, it doesn't mean Christ died on the cross to free you from sin and the tyranny of evil and death so that you can Live how you want to. No. You go from being a servant to sin to being a servant of Jesus. And he is worthy. He's worthy. Because what he gives is a gift. He says his burden's light. His yoke is easy. He's not a taskmaster. He loves you. He's a shepherd. He's the good shepherd. And he knows his sheep. This is very difficult for us as American evangelical Christians because of our nationalistic thinking when we think of freedom. And we let that infiltrate our Christianity to where we equate American political freedom with Christian freedom. It's not the same. It's not the same. Christ did not die so that you can serve yourself. So that you can have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness however you want to. That's not it. We go from serving sin to serving Jesus. And so he says in verse 18, Having become freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. And then he says in verse 19, I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. And then he says this, he uses these phrases, just as, in the same way, you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. Now what does he mean in verse 19 about further lawlessness? He's saying slave, uh, sin enslaves you. But it makes you a double slave. 
It makes you a double debtor. This is how. Let's say uh, you, have, you, have two, you have two men. We'll call them Jim and Bob. That's just easy, okay? Jim and Bob. Jim uh, gets into debt. Becomes indebted to Bob. Can't pay off the debt. And so Jim has to work for Bob. Bob has a company, okay? So Jim has to work for Bob. And then Bob actually gets into trouble himself. He gets in debt to someone else. And his entire company, all of his employees and Jim are all on the hook for Bob's debt as well. And so everything that Bob does in his company, he's borrowing money from this other person and he owes them. And he's constantly paying them, but it's not just tied to him. Everybody that works for him is enslaved too. So Jim, as he's trying to work off his debt to Bob, he's enslaving himself because of the work that he's doing. He's enslaving himself to Bob's debtor. This makes sense? That's what Paul's saying about sin. He says sin enslaves you in a double portion. He says... Just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, he says, resulting in further lawlessness. In other words, every, every work that you do in your flesh to try to justify yourself as you're living a life of sin before you come to Christ, it results in further lawlessness. That is, you, you don't ever gain any ground. Have you ever felt just flooded and drowning in debt? There have been times in my life where I was like, I just get sick to my stomach because I owed money on my credit card or something. It's like, I got to pay this off as soon as possible. Now, there were times when appliances would break down. and You know how it is. You're like, got to have this. You know, what do we do? Put it on the credit card. And then pay it off as soon as we can. You don't want to be a slave to that lender. They are harsh. High interest rates. But imagine, imagine if you were in this cycle of where you're so trapped that nothing that you ever, that, that every time you send in a payment, it didn't help, it, it didn't only move, move the, the bottom line, it got you in the negative even more. That's what Paul's saying a life in sin is like. You never gain ground when it comes to righteousness. But here's, here's the good news. The good news is, the bad news is, is that all of us are sinners. So there's no one who can escape sin. However, even though there's no way out, even though our work in the flesh only serves to enslave us more, that is, our wages are death, he says later on in verse 23, Jesus doesn't, unlike Bob, doesn't owe anybody. He overcame sin and death and the grave. The grave could not hold him because he's completely righteous. And if you belong to him, your debt has been completely paid. And your relationship to him is not one of a slave and a taskmaster who every time you serve him, you just get more in debt. No, it's free. The gift he gives is eternal life. And it's free. Death could not hold him. When you become his servant, your wages are not death, but his gift to you, he says later on, is sanctification unto eternal life. So it's not further lawlessness. No, when you present yourself to Christ and you say to him, Lord, you are my God. I will follow you. I worship you. You know, every time you report for duty, every time you serve him, every time you decide to follow him, you become more like him. He sanctifies you. He doesn't punish you. He doesn't hold things over your head sanctifies you he makes you holy that's what Paul says here 
The outcome of those things when you were in sin is death. These are things you were ashamed of in the past. But now you're freed from sin and enslaved to God. And in being enslaved to God, he says in verse 22, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. You had no benefits before. Only curses. And now because you belong to Christ, you have true benefits. You will not be free without a new master. Your master must change. That's what has to happen. That new life is not life freed from being a servant. It's you get a new master. And he's gracious and he's kind and he forgives. But you will always have a master. Jesus did not die for you so that you could be autonomous. He died for you so that your life and your lifestyle could finally be meaningful and fruitful and good and glorifying to God. An old hymn I want to read as we close this morning. Written by the late John Wesley, Charles Wesley. And can it be and can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain? For me who him to death pursued? Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? He left his Father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace. Emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all, immense and free, I praise my God, it reaches me. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray, I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose, went forth, and followed thee. No condemnation. Now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him my living head. And clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne. And claim the crown through Christ my own. Are you lost and bound if so, you can be free today in Christ. And if you are here today and you are free in Christ and you belong to him, let every breath be for him. Learn his way. Leverage all of your life for his good pleasure. Realign your intellect, your passions, your aspirations for his glory and his name and his kingdom. Give yourself over to him completely. For he has set you free. And if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. What sins need to be starved of your affection and attention today? Let them starve. Old habits, old affections, things that you may think you need to continue to do. Be like that debt-free-minded person that we mentioned earlier. Don't be afraid to say no. Don't think that you have to continue in the old habits that you, that you were before you came to Christ. Be intentional about your decisions. Spend time with other people who've been freed from sin. That doesn't mean insulate yourself from the world. But it means spend time with other people who've been freed. Hear their stories. Tell them yours. Be encouraged by them. Don't try to live the Christian life in isolation. Live your new life of freedom under the Lordship of Christ.
your Savior. Let's pray and then we'll be dismissed. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I just want to invite you this morning to spend some time before the Lord as I prepare to pray. Is there something this morning that you need to identify or maybe that the Lord has already identified in your heart this morning and you're already thinking about it? Something that you've struggled with Something that in your life of sin you have brought into your new life and that you struggle with in your new life in Christ. Would you just speak that in your heart of hearts to the Lord and confess that to him? And and ask him to help you be free of that. Just identify that to the Lord as we pray. And give it to him, surrender it to him. But then also think about and be purposeful about things that you need to change today. Habits, goals that you need to set, decisions, hard decisions that you need to make. Things that are going to cause pain, Things that are going to cause discomfort. Things that might make you unpopular in your family or in your workplace or relationships that you might have. And would you decide this morning that you're going to follow Jesus. That you're going to turn from these things. And that you're going to be purposeful about following Christ. Knowing that you are free and that you're under grace, not under the law. Father, I pray for each person in this room this morning as we give our hearts to you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would reveal to us the things that we're harboring, the things that we're that we continue to struggle with, turning our backs upon and embracing our freedom in Christ. Father, I pray that as your Holy Spirit teaches us your way, the way of your Son, God, that we would have the strength to turn away from those things and to turn unto you. That we would be motivated by the cross. that we would really feel the weight of the freedom that's been provided for us. And that, God, that we would leverage every breath, all that we have, all that we are, for Christ and his kingdom, who alone is worthy of everything. it be so today. In Jesus' name, amen.